And normally Scott would be here to start the new year with you. And, and so he's not because he had to go take care of his, of his family and he's actually having a better time there with the new baby, I'm sure, than, than here because, you know, I know he loves to preach, but, you know, grandkids, I know what grandkids do, so, you know. So normally Scott would give you the, the New Year's vision, and I'm sure he will next week, but this Sunday you're stuck with me. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, my son, I was talking with him because, I, you know, first of all, I talk to my son a lot because I like talking to my son. Secondly, I was talking with him because I let him know I was doing this, and I had to talk about slides and stuff, and and he said, you know, Dad, don't worry about it. He said, you know, everybody, know, they'll know you didn't find out till Friday afternoon. They're not going to expect much from you. <laughs> Thanks, Benj. I appreciate that. I really, you know, he said, so you don't worry about being any good. So y'all get what you get today, let me tell you. <clears throat> no, it's a new year, 2012. And, I, and as I was thinking on the short amount of time I had to think about this, um, you know, a, a new year, you always think about what can be new and what challenges we might face this year, what changes we might face this year. It's a big year for us as a nation, a big year for the world. Uh, if you read the news, which is a good thing to do, but don't read it too much because that's not a good thing to do because it can be depressing. But it's, it's going to be a big year. It's a big year full of uh, international and national choices that are going to be made, most of which you and I won't have much effect on <clears throat> because a lot of that stuff's going to happen whether we want it to or not. Then there's a lot of choices that are going to be made on an individual level. Uh, so there's a lot of things. That this could be a really great year. A lot of choices, a lot of things happening. Just like every other year, it could be a really great year. So we're expecting great things. How many of y'all are expecting good things in 2012? I always figure it's better to expect good things than not. Because God is a good God. So we're going to get good things. That didn't sound right. I didn't like that. We're expecting great things. And God's going to bring blessings to the world and to us. Now, some things will happen this year because of decisions we make. Some things are going to be completely out of our, of our control. But everything, uh, the only thing we can do on those is just control our response. This year, how it is, and I'm a firm believer of this, how this year unfolds for us or for you or for me is going to depend a lot on ourselves, how we respond, the choices, decisions we make, how we choose to live, Attitudes we might have, um, resolutions we might make. Let's talk a bit. About, let's talk about resolutions. You guys make resolutions? Do you? Really? Okay. I'll let you take a minute to absorb that because <clears throat> that's my attitude about resolutions. I don't like resolutions. Not that I'm perfect, by the way. That's not my attitude. <laughs> no, that's not my attitude. I don't like resolutions because oftentimes we make these kind of resolution things based on quite often wrong visions of what life is supposed to be. We have these wrong ideas and wrong visions of what our life should be. Uh, maybe I should be look as good as that person in this magazine, which, you know, for me is never going to happen. So I try to set this goal and it's a failure to begin with. Or, for example, here's a really good one, like the resolution to not have coffee on Sunday mornings. That's not going to work. I mean, that's a wrong vision, a wrong attitude, even though Jen tried to overcome it this morning by making one pot. Uh, that's probably a resolution that's not going to happen. So a lot of resolutions that are based on bad ideas and bad visions are going to fail, like not having coffee on Sundays. I can tell you that'll fail. I think if we can get our heads wrapped around the fact of what a good vision for our lives is, then we can decide to make better choices 
and make changes in our lives that we need to. But where do we get a better vision for our lives? Does, I mean, does God have a good vision for us? I believe he does. Why doesn't my computer go like this? But it always worked real well for Scott. Golly, I got to do it this way. God has a vision for us. I want to read in Romans. I really love this scripture. And especially in the message, it sounds really good. Romans 8, 29 and 30. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. God made that decision, or after God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by his name, by name, excuse me. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. I love that. I love that. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. I take a lot of comfort in the fact that God has an intended vision, an intended shape for us, that He has a pattern. You know, we're just not hit and miss people. You know, we're just not out here on our own. He's got a plan and a vision for what my life and your life is supposed to look like. And He's moving toward that vision. And sometimes he drags us kicking and screaming, but he is moving us toward that vision. That makes me extremely happy to know that God has a vision for how I'm supposed to be, for the shape of what my life is supposed to be. He has a pattern, and that pattern is Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have ever worked with... Well, I've worked with this. I, I, my first job as... A, a married man was working with soil samples, and this is a sieve that you use for soil samples. Basically, you take the soil, and you're trying to get it to a certain size, so it, you know, it sieves it all. It's kind of like flour sifter, you know, anything like that. Everybody knows what a sieve is. You sift things through it, all the bad stuff you throw out, all the good stuff goes through, and it's changed, and sometimes it's, you, know, you push it through because you want more through if you've got flour, especially, and it makes it the right size and shape, but I see this as the pattern for our lives. God is pushing us through a sieve, and that sieve is Christ. He's fitting us through that and changing the things in us that need to fit into the life of Christ, and he's throwing out all the bad stuff that doesn't fit at all. That's how I see this pattern that God has given us. This filter or this sieve or this pattern that he has given us, which is Jesus Christ, is to be used by us in everything we do. We interpret the Bible through the eyes of Christ. We interpret circumstances in life through the eyes of Christ. We interpret the choices we make, the choices we make are to be made through the eyes of Christ, through the ways of Christ, through the pattern of Christ. We relate to people in the world as Christ would do that. This is the pattern for our lives, and this is how we are to live. Now, uh, I wanted to back up just a second where I said we interpret the Bible through this. I, one of them, this is kind of a side note. I've got a couple of these side notes today. This is kind of a side note for me, and I'm, I'm recently have learned this, and I'm kind of, this is growing in me, so if I don't say it right, y'all just have to forgive me. A lot of times we look at the Bible from where we stand right now, back through all the people that we've seen, you know, we try to, we, we through the guy, the last message we had, through the message of that, and we look, 
And then we see the Bible and we interpret it through, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the people in the church that we know before us, the, the ancestors in the church before us, and it kind of goes all the way back to, the, to Jesus, and then we interpret it that way. And if you think about it, that's kind of right, because we interpret things in the Scripture based on, well, I heard him say that, and that made sense, and so that's, that's kind of right. We, we can do that, and that's not so bad. But what this is saying is I start the Bible, and I look at Jesus first, and I interpret everything out from that point. So when I look at... Uh, the Old Testament, and I see the things of the Old Testament where cities are destroyed and things are in judgment and righteous and all that, I have to not look at that outside of the eyes of Christ. See what I'm saying? When I look at the future from Christ on, anything that happens in the world, and we live in a changing world, and I believe that. I mean, the world's going to com- com- forever going to be changing. God stays the same. The world's going to change. He's given us this pattern of Christ that no matter what changes the world brings to us, I can look through the eyes of Christ and it gives me a frame of reference to live and to relate to what the world brings. Does that make sense? Okay, that was a side note. That's a free one. As we look at this, we want to understand that everything we do in life needs to be filtered through Him. So if that's the case, where can we find this model or this picture of Christ that we can really follow. Now, this is kind of dear to my heart. That model and that picture, I believe, is best found in Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. Now, I'm not going to talk about the whole Sermon on the Mount today because it's way too much and there's a whole lot in there. Okay? The point of what I want to get across to you today is and I believe this with all my heart, because I, I, have, I have really, a year ago, I mean, that's all I read was the Sermon on the Mount, was a year ago. And I still read it quite frequently, even in my normal reading at this point. Because I truly believe there's such depth in there. This is the one place in Scripture where Jesus sat down and said, this is the kingdom. You know, and and I'm, these are my interpretations. This is the kingdom. This is where, this is how I want you to live. This is how... I'm setting the principles down aside. These are the attitudes that you need to have. This is the longest portion of Scripture we have where Jesus just sits down and just teaches. Okay, this is the kingdom. This is life. This is what you do. And if you look at this section of Scripture, you look closely at that, he talks about, well, almost every aspect of life that we face. Now, does he talk about splitting atoms? No, he doesn't. Now, I want to give you an idea here. When I say he talks about every aspect of life that we face, everything I believe, as I said earlier, that we face in life, if we use this reference points of, of Christ, we can relate to it and interpret it. You know, Jesus never talked about splitting atoms and the hydrogen bombs and atom bombs and nuclear weapons, but he talked about loving your enemy. You know, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. He talked about love. He talked about moving forward. So when I look at these type of things, I can look at these type of changes in the world and say, okay, how does this change affect me? And then how, in the reference of Christ, should it be used or should it be used? Those type of things. It's a reference for us to be able to relate to the future. So I don't care where we grow in the future. A lot of people get afraid of science and where it's growing and technology. I don't care about that. It can grow as far as it wants to grow because I've got a a vision here, a model here that never changes, and I can relate to anything it brings. 
Does that make sense? It gives you a way to be able to have a good discussion with a lot of people that don't believe in guns. No, I, you know, these things are happening. I don't deny them. But from the framework of, of Jesus, this is how, it, how we relate to that. Okay, I got a little bit long on that, but let's move. What does this picture of the Sermon on the Mount tell us? Well, like I said, there's a lot here. But I want to point out a few things that you can find in this passage. My goal with this, I'll just tell you right off the bat, my goal is this at the end, I'm going to challenge you guys to read this all year. I'm, just get, I'm leading to that point. So that's why I can't cover everything in Sermon on the Mount. But I'm going to cover a few things. It tells us, for example, who we should be character-wise. Matthew 5, 21, 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in the danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, I could have put in one the scripture right after that that talks about uh, adultery, and it talks about even if you've lusted in your mind, you've committed it. It's attitudes. It talks about our character as people. We find that in this passage of Scripture, how we are supposed to relate in character-wise to people. Along with character, it talks about if your brother has something against you, go make it right. That's a character thing. It's also an action thing we're going to talk about in a minute. It also tells us how we should treat others. This is an action thing as well. Matthew 5, 43-44, love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies... Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I don't know if you guys noticed this is kind of countercultural today. It's actually been kind of countercultural since the beginning of time, but it's really countercultural, it seems to me, today. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. There's no other choice. Love your enemies. If you watch the news like we talked about earlier, Every time, every time you watch the news, somebody is painted as an enemy there. Okay? It could be foreigners, it could be Muslims, it could be Republicans, it could be Democrats. Somebody is painted as an enemy because we are in the mindset of painting people as enemies today. Well, my response to that is, okay, if we're going to paint them as an enemy, then that means I need to love them. If we're going to paint them as a friend, I need to love them too. So, basically... Love is the message of the reference that we have here. Okay? Let's, let's look at something else. What we should care about. Sermon on the Mount tells us what we should care about, too. Gives us our priorities, things that are important. We can find that there. Now, I want to I stop for a minute. I just want to make sure you all understand that this is not the only two chapters in Scripture that you need to read. I'm just saying that there's a really good pattern for life in there. I'm not negating the rest of the Bible. I just want to say that up front. <clears throat> but let's get back to this. What should we care about? Matthew 6, 31, 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or if there's any coffee at church? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, your priorities. What is your priority today? Well, if I'm going to live as the pattern says, my priority is the kingdom of God. That's what I'm going to seek today. Now, that, does that mean I don't go to work? No, that doesn't mean I don't go to work because part of the kingdom of God is taking care of my family too. But when I go, through, go to work, am I going with the attitude of seeking the kingdom of God? How can I better the kingdom of God in this? You know, these are some of the things that we learn as we study 
the Sermon on the Mount. Or another thing, the Sermon on the Mount, this, this passage tells us how effective the principles in our lives should be. And now we're talking about righteousness, where it says in Matthew 5, 48, Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Interesting side note about that particular scripture, by the way. That's immediately after he says, love your enemies. Just a side note. These are just four things. I, could, I mean, I could list a whole bunch more about that, that things that attitudes and character models for us to live and ways that we should be living. In light of just these four, though, I have a question for you. How's that working out? How's it working out for you in your life? Especially that last one, be perfect is. God is perfect, you know. These, this particular passage that I'm going to challenge you guys to read throughout this year sets seemingly impossible standards for our lives. Standards that people like to think about and dream about but nobody really expects us to get there or nobody really expects it to happen, at least while we're here on this earth. Nobody really expects us to achieve it. It's just kind of good goals for in the future. And we'll probably get all of this when, you know, in the end when Jesus returns and, you know, while we're trying to move that direction, it's not really all going to happen until Jesus gets back, which begs the question, why do I need to love my enemies after the return of Christ? Because there really shouldn't be any then. I believe, and I might add, Vineyard teaches, these are lifestyles, this is a pattern that is to be lived here, now, today, in this world, in our lives. God made the pattern for us to live according to these principles that Jesus lays out, according to his life, today, now, here, in the present. I believe that with all my heart. And if it's not possible... And please don't get mad at me. If it's not possible, what good is Christianity? I know that's harsh, but it's true. Why would God give you something that wasn't possible? Why would he give you a model that wasn't possible? I believe it's to be done, lived here. But it's so hard. It's hard. But there is a way. Second Corinthians 5, 16-18, he says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in the Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can I tell you why New Year's resolutions don't work? Because, and I'm not going to say that's a general statement, some do work. I have had some work in my life. But New Year's resolutions most often fail because they depend on me changing my life. So that's why I'm not asking you to make a New Year's resolution to live the Sermon on the Mount. Because you can't. If God does not intervene in your life and create newness, make you a new creation in these areas, 
he doesn't do that, you're going to fail and don't do it. Don't even try to start. But he has promised, and I take you back to the scripture we read at the beginning, to start something and complete it. He has promised to make you new in areas of your life that need to be conformed to this pattern, this vision that he has for your life. The beautiful thing about it is all you need to do is just figure out, which means read and study and learn and let God talk to you about what that image looks like, what that pattern is, and then say, dear God, make me new. Make me new. See, too many people start thinking about things like this, and and we've heard hundreds of sermons over our lifetimes about changing our lives and getting better, and we start thinking, how can I bring this about in my life? How can I, what do I need to do to make my life different, to, to be more like this? Instead, we need to be praying, God, this part of my life doesn't match the pattern you've given us. It doesn't match the vision of Christ for me. It doesn't match that mold, that model that you set in Jesus. Make me new. Make me new. That's the only way it's going to happen. Is if Jesus, through His Spirit, changes you. I've, I've, I'm not too fond of messages where they say, if you go and do this, you'll be better. Well, because I don't, you know, it ain't going to happen. But if you go and ask Christ to change you and make you new every day, Lord, where do I not conform to this image that you've set out? Make me new. Make me new. Make me new. It's the key to how you're going to live this. So, at the beginning of the year, I'm going to challenge you. Scott says suggestions, so I do suggestions like he does. Here's what I'd like to, to, to suggest for you guys this year. This is not just next week. I get a bigger one because I only get to talk once in a while. So, for this year, read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a month. It's not long. It's three chapters, two chapters, five, six, seven, three chapters. Three chapters in Matthew. Read it. I would even say the first time you read it, take it the whole month and read it. And then once a month from there on out. But when you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and show you in your life where you don't match the pattern. Show you in your life where you don't match the pattern. Then ask Jesus to make you more like Him. And then once this begins to happen, I, I, I challenge you in this because I've seen it work in my life. And so I'm not, this I have seen work in my life. And so that's why I'm challenging this. When you begin to ask him to make you new, watch for opportunities so that you can express Jesus in this world today. Show that newness that he's made in you today. We are called to be like Jesus here and now. And this is incredibly important for us. And I've got a little video that I want to show you that you can, so that you'll understand why it's important. Some of you guys have seen this video before. Um, I brought it out yesterday to, as I was getting ready for this, and Mary and I were just sitting there bawling at the end of it because it really challenges me. But I want you to see this. This is why it's important for us to be 
living the pattern that God has given us in this world. Go ahead, man. So in 2012, send us. Send us. We make the difference. Send us. Father, that's our cry. Send us. Create us in the image of your Son. Mold us that we might be Jesus to the world. That we might live that way. And then, Lord, send us to change the world. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Anybody needs prayer this morning? There'll be people over here waiting for you. And if you see anybody over here waiting, go pray with them. Other than that, enjoy the first day of the year. Let's see you guys next week.